when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps, I am uber excited. I have an incredible guest today. His name is Mike Verrett, and he's with Verrett and Associates. And today we're going to be talking about connecting with your audience. So, Mike, man, how are you doing? Brian, I couldn't be better if there were two of me, my man. This is uh, this is a treat for me, and I'm excited to talk bacon with you. Um, I'm digging it, baby. So I want people to get to know you, and uh, you have kind of a, a, a cool past. You went from naming a dinosaur to working with people who might be kind of dinosaurs in the ad industry and teaching them how to make better connections, correct? Uh, yeah, you, you summarized it pretty effectively. <laughs> I, uh, I started, I've been in some form of, just call it marketing as a bucket, I guess, um, some form of that, whether it be on the agency or dreaded client side is how agency people think of it for about 25 years. And I've done everything from ad sales and, and client management stuff to working with creative teams on strategy. Um, I like to tell people that in my marketing career, I've done everything from concepting a new brand based on an insight to writing and starring in the commercial uh, because I've had to do all of those functions over my career. But my last seat or position in the ad world was on site with Hasbro Game or Hasbro Toys and Games in Providence, Rhode Island or Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And I was there on site full time for six years and then they hired me onto the brand team. So for six years, I was managing the boys' toy business, which as a 48 year old, I grew up in the thick of things like Star Wars, uh, G.I. Joe, Transformers. And all of a sudden, here I am working with those brands. And it was just unbelievable. Um, had some wonderful experiences. And the way I was looking at it was, this is a wonderland. This is incredible. My dream come true. When they hired me, and when they hired me onto the brand, global brand team at Hasbro, I was over the moon. They give everybody the set of blocks, building blocks that spells your name. And, you know, Michael Verrett is sitting there on my desk in kids' blocks. I'm like, I've made it. I this is great. And the first two years, I was managing Transformers Marketing as a senior brand manager and hanging out with Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, who, fun fact for you, was also the voice of Eeyore, the original wow. Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Cool. So that voice you hear booming out of Optimus Prime used to sound like, oh, well, Pooh, I guess I'll do this. And now he's this amazing. So I was blown away by all that. And then I started to realize that no matter what I was working on, everything was just a process that it went through to develop it. It, it. We could have been making action figures or trash bin liners the way that it's done. And it's a lot of type A personalities. And here I am the way that I am trying to an ex ad guy, not an MBA grad trying to figure out my way. They moved me over to product marketing for Jurassic world. And they say, you need product experience. Like, okay. So I'm working and it's a pain in the ass. 
I was not happy with it. And that's when I started to realize, like, I don't want to be in a brand management organization necessarily. I don't think it's right for me. But lo and behold, one day we get a call from PR. Now, the movie Jurassic World came out in 2015, March of 2015, I think, or May, sorry, May. And it stars Chris Pratt. And they, there's a giant white dinosaur in the movie that turns, it's the villain in the movie, okay? We get a call from our public relations team saying, you have to Google the name Diabolus Rex, D-I-A-B-O-L-U-S. And we do, and we do an image search. And it turns out to be the only thing that shows up is this guy with horn implants and a long beard and black contacts. The outgoing member or president of the Church of Satan was called Diabolus Rex. Wow. They named the big white dinosaur Diabolus Rex. And we sell toys to four-year-olds that are purchased by a mom. So imagine that mom going online and searching Diabolus Rex. That was our terror. We called the studio. They said, all right, well, you guys figure out a new name. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a second. The script writers just told the toy licensee to come up with a new name. I said, okay. Me and my friend Mike, we locked ourselves in a room. We wrote the word Rex on a board. And we opened up a Latin dictionary and just started putting words that look cool next to Rex. And I landed on one Indominus Rex. Because Indominus, in my mind, meant unconquerable. That was the translation or a loose translation. And I knew that at the end of the movie, what would happen to him. So I'm on the phone saying, we got it. Foreshadowing, irony, Indominus Rex. They go, okay, whatever. And that's how the dinosaur in Jurassic World got named. So if you're ever wondering how films come together, now you've got an interesting insight of how it actually happens (laughs) and some of the things that occur along the way. Uh, But it was a very funny incidental point in my career where I could point back to it and say, see that dinosaur? I named it. And it's just a cool feeling. But the point is, that's the only feeling I took away from that was that one thing. I was not happy. I moved over to Hasbro Gaming and I was in a similar situation. But what they realized was, and I realized at the time, was I understand an audience. And I understand how to communicate with that audience and hold their attention. And I became known as the face of Hasbro Gaming. They would fly me around the world to present to internal audiences at brand summits, buyers for toys, and consumers, I was sent out on the road about 35% of the year and traveled around the world, like Hong Kong, India, Germany, Brazil, presenting Hasbro Gaming to an audience. And it became my hallmark, but it was 35% of my job. So the other 65% was still brand manager stuff, and I was unhappy. Along comes October 18. And 2018 and numbers are down. So they do a 10% workforce reduction. I am one of the people let go. And I hugged the vice president to put it in context. I was so elated and relieved. And that's not the feeling I should have been having. Right. Mm-hmm. So I left and immediately had the blinders lifted and realized what I'm good at is understanding an audience and communicating to an audience, but it doesn't stop with the audience in front of me. I can understand how an audience thinks about a message. So what I've turned my business into since then is showing businesses how to talk about themselves. It's the hardest thing in the world for them to do by showing them their audience's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know I could do it until I had 25 years under my belt. But now it's like, I'm 48 years old, but at 46, I finally figured out what I want to do when I grow up. So I have Hasbro in my ad business career to, to thank for that, but it was a very colorful journey. Yeah, very colorful and uh yeah the the whole um 
you know, Googling and showing up on Satan would have kind of killed your Christian business side of selling Hasbro <laughs> toys. That would not have been good. But uh, we're, we're not going to go down that road because I learned a long time ago, when you're talking about business, you don't talk about politics or religion. So we won't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but, even if you take the religion out of it and think about it from a Halloween perspective. Yeah. Well, the only thing that could have been worse was porn. But that's a yes, whole other story. Yes. Um, but you have three things with connecting with your audience that you talk about. And you call it, and I love things that rhyme, by the way, being the musician that I am. It's connect, direct, and project. So let's start out with the connect. What does that mean? Well, the first thing I'm going to comment on is that the reason I do it that way and just give them three things is because I know the human minds can only remember three things. Mm -hmm. And if I can structure it in a way that triggers it in their mind, they're going to remember it. Okay, so everything with intent when it comes to your audience. The first of those words is connect. So think about for a moment, if you've ever had an experience where you, wherever you went to college, you meet somebody who didn't go to your college. And the first thing out of their mouth is, do you know this person? Do you know that person? Do you know this person? And what's happening in that instance is two human beings looking for a connection point that they can then go on to a conversation. It's a very human nature, common sense thing, but we do it all the time. Hey, how's the weather today? Hi, how are you? How have you been? We do it all the time. We start to establish those connections so that we can have a conversation. And when it comes to your audience, they're looking for that connection so they can feel like they can go to that place with you. So the importance of the, that first, I call it seven seconds of interaction with today's consumer becomes incredibly important. And I use the idea of a resume for why this is important. Every one of us has written a resume and we spend a lot of time trying to capture everything we've done, where we've been, what we've accomplished. But if we took a step back and figured out or thought about who's looking at that resume, they spend an average of seven to nine seconds per resume when they're looking at resumes to hire. Which means without question, objectively, the only amount they can consume is one or two sentences. That means that the first thing on your resume is the most important because if they don't connect with it, they don't go down to what you spent all your time on and where you've been. Mm -hmm. So apply that to businesses and think about it in terms of a Google search. If you're looking for a plumber, what is your motivation? There's something wrong with your plumbing system. You're not looking for a plumber just because, oh, I think I'll research that. No, it's an in the now, In I need it fixed. I don't care what's wrong. If I'm in that situation and I Google plumber near me and the first three results say we're a plumber, how am I feeling about that interaction? I'm feeling like they've hit the lowest common possible level of connection with me. I already know you're a plumber because I'm looking for a damn plumber. I don't need you to tell me you're a plumber. I need you to help my problem. They click on the fourth one and it says, your plumbing goes wrong at the worst time possible. When that time comes, call us immediately. Which one of those four, Brian, would you call? Yeah, that's that's pretty simple. And obviously, it's the one that you relate to. But I have something very similar to this. And actually won an award for uh, best small business website, and that was because 
this company was a tow truck company. When do you need a tow truck, right? When your car breaks down. Uh, they had somebody who created a website for them. They had their phone number flying around at the top of the screen in Flash, which, you know, was like, hey, look how cool this is. Our phone number flies around. But the biggest Call problem, now. <laughs> Right. But the biggest problem was is that on the iPhone, uh, Flash did not work. So what happened was is you got a screen with no phone number. Oh, boy. And so what we did is obviously put, our, is your car broke down? Click here. Yeah. And what it did is it dialed the phone for you so you didn't have to look up, you know, the number and type it in. It was just as simple as possible. It solved the problem. And, and also what you said there about the seven seconds on the resume is exactly the same amount of time people will spend looking at your web page to begin with. So you just answered that question in such a concise way by saying, you know, your, your plumbing breaks down at the worst possible time we're here to help right so it's like we get you we're, we empathize with you yeah it, it totally makes sense well there and i mean even take it one step further if the plumber shows up and starts explaining what's wrong i don't give a shit i want it fixed like extend it all the way to the end of that interaction so if you have a plumber even from a sales perspective or a service perspective who isn't backing that up i understand you just need it fixed then that connective tissue does not go all the way through your brand and your message. Which absolutely makes sense. So let's jump to number two, which is direct. Now we've connected. How do we direct? All right. So connection, if people look at my LinkedIn page, for instance, they'll see the line under it. And I've had people say, it says, I show businesses how to talk about themselves. And people say, I love your elevator pitch. And I, my answer to that is buckle up. This is the first floor. Because my elevator is not 10 seconds on the first floor. What do you say to somebody? What happens there invariably is you put in words like marketing consultant or advertising or, or whatever, you know, lead generation, because you feel like that has to be in there in that 10 seconds to explain what you do. But the unintended consequence is that people have already heard those terms and they assign meaning to it. So if somebody says to me, I have a digital, I, I am a digital strategist. I don't, I've already attached meaning to that. I don't even feel like I need to know more. However, my version of that pitch is the first floor is the point to connect with them and get them to hit the penthouse because I want them to ride up that elevator with me, which means I have to tell my story, deliver my message in an order and in a way that my audience is going to connect with, okay, and pay attention to. I've gotten their attention. How do I continue that story and direct them to where I want them to go? So let's imagine a web, let's imagine for a second a website has its frequently asked questions section. That fundamentally, if it's written the way a customer or audience thinks, is going to start with the most general thing and go to the most specific thing without deviating from that formula. Smaller, 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 smaller. If you do it alphabetically, it makes no sense to the person looking at it. If you do it in terms of what you think they're going to ask, it makes no sense to the person looking at it. It's a case of the business thinking they know what the person wants to see. But the reality is what they're looking for is direction in the story. So imagine your audience is a bunch of five-year-olds on a reading rug at the public library. You come in and you have to tell them that you're going to read them a story that's in the order that they're going to understand it. And you're going to use the right inflection to communicate it to them. You're not going to sit there with the book facing you and say, okay, we're reading uh, Good Night Moon. Good Night Moon. Good Night Cow Jumping Over the Moon. Good Night Dish That Ran Away with the Spoon. No, 
We're going to turn that book around. We're going to show the kids and we're going to say, look at the cow jumping over the moon. Look at the silly dish running away with the spoon. And it becomes directing your audience in the storytelling and on their terms, in their tone. That's what people latch onto. So when we're businesses, we think about it from the business's perspective. But the right way to tell that story is get their attention on the first floor. The second floor is what is the insight or the problem or who you're helping. The third floor is your solution for that. You go up one more floor, that's your process. One more floor is your services, which is effectively at that point features and benefits of this product. And the top floor is call to action. Now, if you could stay to that framework, you're actually talking to a human being the way they want to con consume information. And you're no longer talking to them the way the business thinks they need to hear it. And that's the pivot point that sets. I tell everybody, you got to be first, best, or different. If you could direct your audience this way, you come across as different because nobody else is doing it. So that's the idea of how you direct that story. And it's really as easy as here's what I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you and then I'm going to tell you what I just told you. But it's in, a, it's in a storytelling device where once upon a time and that's how it ends and you bring them along with it, you hold your audience's attention and you become known for telling your story that way. Yeah, I so much agree with you. As a matter of fact, I was listening to this masterclass by Neil Gaiman, and he was talking about the art of storytelling. And, and he said, when you're talking to five-year-olds, the key thing that you want them to ask all the time is, and then what happened? And then what happened? And what you're doing is you're basically building that story step by step. Now, when we go to LinkedIn, we talk about that. I have a, a, a philosophy around it as well, which mirrors what you say. But the biggest thing is you only got 240 some odd characters. So you can't put that much in there. So I limit it to three things. And I always say, who do you serve? What's their problem? And how do you solve it? Those three things. So if you can say who you serve so they can say, oh, he's talking to me. You know, what's their problem? Oh, my God, he hears my problem. B, how do you solve it? And, and if you can do how you solve it in a unique way, then you really stand out. And, you know, if somebody asks me, well, what do you do? I say I bridge the gap between marketing and sales. And it's like, whoa you know, what's the gap? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, and then yeah. what happened? <laughs> it's so funny. I just had that exact discussion today that was spawned, spawned by somebody saying, every, nobody looks at salespeople like human beings. They don't understand that they're an extension of the marketing. And I explained it as marketing gets you to the door. But if that door opens and the customer just sees some old lady sitting there going, what do you want? It's just as bad as your marketing not working well. Unless you're marketing, unless the old lady is sitting there and her name is Clara Peller and goes, where's the beef? Exactly. <laughs> but if it's somebody's grandma is sitting there like, all right, I'm, what do you want? I'm just here. Like, that's not a good experience. No, not at all. <laughs> all right. So we've, we've taken them down the connection. We've gotten a direction. So how do we project? Well, so every brand and every person has two fundamental assets at their disposal. One is a constant, and that's your personality, whether it's a brand or a person. And I'm going to use a person to explain this, though. Trying to deviate off of that constant is what causes you strife. You start to lose who you are. So as an example, if you've ever seen the show Big Bang Theory, you'll know who Sheldon is. One of my faves. Yeah. Sheldon is played by Jim Parsons. Jim Parsons has been in a Microsoft campaign. He's been in the movie Home. 
uh, which is an animated film by, I think, DreamWorks. And in and obviously he's on the show. And in all instances, he plays this lovable, but so irritating, nerdy, like, oh, well, you know what his delivery is. He is Sheldon in all of those situations. Jim Parsons, if he's on a talk show and you look at his hands, they're always moving and they're red because he's got OCD and he washes his hands all the time. There's nothing not authentic about Sheldon because it's Jim Parsons. What if? Jim Parsons was cast as the arch villain in the next Fast and the Furious series with The Rock and Jason Statham. What does he have to go through to mentally and emotionally to get himself to play that role? It's unnatural. It'll come across unnatural and he won't want to do it. That's how powerful your personality is. It holds you in line, but you have to recognize what you represent. If you're a type A personality, you've got a style about you that never changes. Jay-Z said you are who you are before you got here. You don't have a say in the matter. It's a consistent, a constant. Your business needs to be the exact same way. You can't one day be a type A and the next day be a real like introvert. It doesn't work. So your brand personality is the first aspect of your of your business. And it's a constant. You don't have a negotiable way out of that. That needs to be what you represent. However, your second asset you can weaponize, and that's your attitude. The attitude of you or your brand is something that you have a hundred percent control over and the only thing you have control over. It's not about what happens. It's about how you choose to react to it. And you can choose. If you're having a shitty day, you could, you could put on a smile and fake it. And I used to test this theory at work all the time <laughs> in the most benign of social circumstances in the office space. Two people who know each other, maybe, maybe just, you know, they work in the same place. They may even know each other's name, pass each other and go, hi, how are you? And the smile you give people doesn't even feel like a smile. It feels like a tight, like just a quick, sorry, I have to do this in passing as social utility. However, I would decide to use that as my test kitchen and I'd be walking down the hall. And in this case, it was a woman named Nikki was walking towards me and she said, hi, Mike, how are you? And I stopped dead in my tracks. I turned shoulders facing her and I said, Nikki, I am having the best day I've ever had. I promise you I've never felt better. How are you doing? And what I saw in response from her was her eyes dilate, her jaw drop, and she physically leaned away from me like, oh my God goodness, I wasn't expecting that. Mm -hmm. And she walked down the hall and her shoulders were higher and she looked a little jaunty after that. She's like, wow, I wish I could have a day like you're having. The next day, I walked by Nikki again. She says, hi, Mike, how are you? And clearly I've set her up for this because the last time she saw me, I blew her away. I go, rough day, Nikki. I hope you're doing better than me. And I kept my head down and I kept walking. And I glanced over my shoulder and guess how she was walking? head down, shoulders down. I had influenced her just with what I chose to project in that moment with my attitude. And every brand has the capacity to do that. But the trick is you can't step out of your personality with your attitude. You can't all of a sudden decide you're an extreme sport if you're selling Zen bonsai trees. You need to stay with your personality and your attitude is boundary, not barriers, but boundaries. If brands can understand, businesses can understand those two elements and how they work together, 
for them. They're going to form a much better connection, but it's all about that projection of here's my personality and how I'm showing it to you on your terms. I choose to do that because it's the attitude of my brand. Mm -hmm. And I cannot get the image out of my head of the rock beating up Sheldon and taking his lunch money. Um, you just ruined him, him dire, dying in a fiery explosion in, in the middle of the air on a freight plane or something. I know. And it, it, right before he dies, he goes, well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's, that's where I sit. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. All right. Before we finish up, I want to get a success story from you of somebody who's used this philosophy of connect direct and project and actually had something good happen with it other than a smile or a droopy shoulder okay i've got a great story for you and it actually was kind of early on when i first started doing this stuff but i always like to go back to it because it illustrates how i work i met with a woman who runs a pr agency um in the, the massachusetts area and she said i want to work on my message like what i i I've been doing this for 29 years, but things have changed. So already I know she's a smart woman because she's got the ability to acknowledge that, right? And she said, I, you know, I, I need it to be stronger when people hit my website. I said, okay, well, let's look at your site and three others. And we did that, right? Sitting at a coffee, like a table outside of a cafe type of thing, you know, mm -hmm. like a Starbucks. And I said, all right, these three sites all say we're a PR agency and we'll get your word out. And yours does too. I said, well, this isn't that big of a problem. Let's talk about how you got into PR. And she if somebody's starting a business, they're starting it from a point of passion and 100% drive. But it gets fragmented when they actually start the business because they have to worry about an email address, an accountant, a website. They have to market. They have to sell. The list goes on and on. So they're not even able to think clearly on this stuff yet, right? I'm a PR agency. It says that on my website. What's the next thing to do? So in a 15 minute, 10 minute conversation, I asked her how she got into it. And I said, don't tell me money or you want to start a business. Like, why did you choose this? Because it's a lot of writing and expression. And she said, well, what we boiled down to was in college, she was known for being able to get her dorm friends when they were in writer's block, she could pull the words out of the air that they needed. And I said, all right, so we're starting from where it originated. And I think we already landed on a differentiator. And a minute later, I said, what if your headline is, we already know that they have a hard time writing about themselves. Anybody does. If I asked you to write about yourself in flowing positive terms or someone, I'm not going to use you because you know my trick. If I asked somebody to write about themselves, they would, they'd give it to me. I'd write what I see, give it back to them and they'd blush. Mm -hmm. That's like, we're not able to because we're ego driven. We're the only species that can do this to ourselves. So I said, what if we leaned into why you started this in the first place and made it your story and said, every business gets writer's block. I'll help you find the right words. Mm -hmm. That's her headline now. And she's seen a huge increase in the value of connection because she caught them in their moment of need and said exactly what's going through their mind. That's where we netted out. Like that's, that's what the driving force was for the rest of her elevator story, if you will. Mike, man, I could talk to you for days. I literally could. As a matter of fact, our first meeting was 15 minutes that went almost two hours. Um, but <laughs> I want to honor your time and honor my uh, listeners' time. So if people wanted to get a hold of you or follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? 
it's very simple. I offer one thing and it's just a tell me about your business kind of thing. And if you ever want to talk to me about what you do for half an hour or so, you just visit my website. It's Verrett and Associates, A-N-D, Verrett and Associates.com. And you can find out more about me there. And, and it's, it's written the way I think. It's basically like me talking. Uh, and you can also schedule time if you ever want to tell me about your business. I love talking to people on Zoom. And my brand promise is I will never be boring. But that's it. That's all I promise. That's a good promise, man. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for coming on and dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. Man, I appreciate you, your time, and your insights, and this has been a blast. Thanks, bro. Thank you so much, Brian. I, uh, I'm humbled and happy to have the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon.